Welcome to Ideas, Ideas While High podcast, where we share creative aha idea moments from entrepreneurs who are successfully navigating the business world and give you practical steps to help bring your great idea to life. I'm your host, Mary Latrice. Let's chop it up. In episode three, we meet Mecca King, founder of Cash Color and Cannabis, Atlantibus Clothing, and Urban Grow Media. Mecca is genuinely pioneering the way to help normalize cannabis conversation in the Black community and changing the perception of the Black cannabis consumer with an honest perspective. What started out as a documentary to look at the cannabis industry and lack of diversity transformed into an entertainment news blog. Cash Color and Cannabis pushes thought-provoking conversations around cannabis, pop culture, politics, and more. If you're building a brand, he recommends focusing on what you're good at in the core voice of your brand before expanding. Okay, today I am joined by Mecca King. He is the podcast host and founder of Cash Color and Cannabis, as well as Urban Grow Media. Welcome to Ideas, Mecca. I am very excited to have you on. Hey, well, thank you. I know, again, it's been a, a long couple of weeks trying to set this up, but I am very happy to be here finally with you and chopping it up with you on High Ideas. Oh, that's awesome. You were the first person I thought of when I had to come up with my list of who I would want to interview. And I was like, I have to reach out, of course. So, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. So you're from Boston. I'm from Correct. Springfield. Really? In Springfield, Mass. Yes. Do you miss home at all? And how often do you go back? I miss home all the time. I'm actually planning to go back the second week of January, um, Friday through Sunday. So I can't wait to go back home to Boston. And it's crazy about Springfield. I went to boarding school for uh, my junior year. It's a whole story. But I went to boarding school for my junior year. I used to go to Jeremiah E. Burke when I was in Boston. And um, I played basketball, yada, yada, yada. I ended up at Winchenden. Uh, Winchenden School in Winchenden, Massachusetts. And I remember having so many friends who was from Springfield come to Winchenden. Like I met so many people th- from there alone, from Springfield alone at Winchenden. It was cool. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I used to go back and forth up to Boston. I had uh, friends in Roxbury and Dorchester. Yeah. Springfield's very close to my heart. I mean, my mother um, used to work there, right? But she's from Alabama. When she moved to Massachusetts, her first job, she was a maid. She worked um, in Springfield and she actually saved up some money, came down to Boston and um, started life. Nice, nice. Yep. Good old Springfield. Were you surprised by the legalization of cannabis or recreational marijuana in Massachusetts? In Massachusetts, was I surprised? No. (laughs) Actually, no. You know, Massachusetts is the most liberal, conservative place you'll ever want to be. And um, I try to tell people that, like, even in Boston, like, I feel like we have fine-tuned racism to the point where I get bothered by what I call lazy racism. Like, I'd be in the South, I'm like, this is the best you can give me? Like, we've had high-level racism where we're at. Like, they thought that out. But when I thought about legalization coming to Massachusetts, I figured it was a no-brainer. Again, it's a very liberal yet conservative place. Like, it's conservative in a lot of different ways, especially the further out you go in the suburbs and further out you go into western Massachusetts. But it's also very liberal. Matter of fact, the first time I saw a weed grow, I was in high school and it was in Winchenden. Like, this kid was growing, with, had a hydroponics kit underneath his bed. It was just one of them things that I knew people was just all into. and it was a thing that spanned across races in Massachusetts. So it wasn't just black, it wasn't just white, it wasn't just Latino, it wasn't just, um, it wasn't Dominican, it, it was everybody who was just kind of doing it. So yeah, I thought that was a no brainer, man. Congratulations on Massachusetts going legal. I'm still not understanding how you do dispensaries because um, when I was back home in May, mm-hmm. I stopped by Pure Leaf in, in Grove Hall because I just wanted to kind of get the experience of what it's like to be in Boston, especially me 
my family grew up in Grove. My family is in Grove Hall, and I'm living mad at pants. Like, I used to be in Grove Hall all the time growing up. It was cool to see what I knew was happening on the streets now just be able to walk into a store. So I was like, let me go try this out. But the way the taxes were, like, at one point, I used my debit card, and somehow I ended up with two receipts and got cash back. And I was so confused about how they did that system. Yeah, somebody actually explained it to me later and I forgot, but I was like, yo, explain to me again why I got two receipts and I got $3 back in change and I use a debit card. Like, explain all that. Wow. I'm glad to hear that perspective because I didn't smoke a lot until I came to Atlanta. And Mm -hmm. the places that I, I don't know if it was just the crowd I was with, but it seemed like I was able to smoke more socially here than I was back home. Or even when I went back to Colorado, it just certain like venues, it was just more open out here. It seemed like as far as oh, yeah. concerned than the places that they were that are legal. Yeah. Well, case in point, because we were talking about this yesterday on the podcast that in Atlanta, when you come down to Atlanta, one thing you'll realize is you can actually smoke in clubs. Like they won't be a big yeah. issue about smoking inside of a nightclub where you can't do that anywhere without being like a special VIP superstar somebody. And that goes double for Massachusetts. Like I dare you to smoke a blunt need probably now in a club, but you can go down to a nightclub, a cafe. You could be uh, almost anywhere in Atlanta and light up and nobody will blink an eye. Exactly. That's what I'm like. Everybody's like, well, how is it down here? You're in Georgia. I'm like, but I'm in Atlanta. So this, I guess. Yeah, it's two different places. As part of, of It's two different places. <laughs> All right, cool. So what was your first experience, if any, with plant medicine? Do you have any funny stories? And it can be shrooms, cannabis, what, what Oh, yeah. My first experience was, um, again, dabbling, being in Western Massachusetts. I had took a basketball recruiting trip to North Adams State College, which is now Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts. And uh, when I was there, I had three friends of mine who were from Roxbury who went up there. And one of them was my friend Shauna. So I was hanging out with Shauna and um, her and her crew. They used to smoke and I never smoked. Like at the time I was basketball playing. Like I knew people who did. I knew people who sold. I knew people do a lot of things, but I knew what my lane was. You know what I mean? I never jumped out of that lane. And I remember being up there with her. And that was the first time I ever seen somebody pull out a bong and light up. So I was intrigued. You know, I'm only up there for a day or so. I'm literally a senior in high school, just kind of kicking it with freshmen in college. So I figured it was a thing to do at the moment. She pulls out this bong. And so me and three of her friends, you know, saying we set up. That was my very first time smoking. And I remember it to this moment, less because of the smoking and more because of the debate we had afterwards, uh-huh. which was whether or not the noodles that you see in, ma- in chicken noodle soup and the noodles you see in Raymond noodles are the same type of noodles. And, <laughs> and we argued that for hours about why they, you can't just take ramen noodles and drop them in a chicken noodle soup and it'd be the same. And I'm like, I remember that argument to this moment. And it's always part of the, my first, ex- it, was, it was my first experience with cannabis uh-huh. was that day, that night. I love it. I, that- <laughs> Talk about high conversations. That yeah, that was a high conversation, actually. I'm thinking about it, visualizing it in my mind. Like, did they chop the, the noodles up and then put it in the ramen? And in, that was and that it. was me. And that was me because I'm like, I don't think it's the same. You know, what I'm saying? No, <laughs> like, I like, I think all noodles are independent. Exactly. <laughs> all right. All right. Cool. So, do you have any rituals at this point when you consume? Yeah, I do. I've come to find out over the last couple of years that when it comes to consumption. Not only am I more of a micro consumer, like, you know, I definitely puff a couple of times I could put it down and go about what I was about to do. But normally some of my better sessions or some of the times I I really have a good time or get experience smoking is solo. You know, like I have like a a room to myself. I have some music playing 
I'll light a blunt. And before you know it, like I have all these ideas come to my mind. And like within an hour, two hours, three hours later, I'm trying to put something together, like almost like a puzzle. So my experiences are normally like that. I've grown to the fact that now I'm become way more of a micro doser and that some of my better experiences happen when I'm solo. Like I still to this moment don't like doing sessions. I don't like being in rooms full of people who are smoking together. I know when I tap out, you know what I mean? And normally if you see me put it out and walk away, I got a thought in my mind, you know what I mean? And I don't want to bog it down by continuing another blunt and continuing another joint when I already know what I'm about to do. Okay, well, cool. That leads me into my next question. So can you just share your story? I mean, obviously this is ideas. So ideas while high, not only on plant medicine, but a spiritual high as well. I think, you know, a lot of us are walking in our purpose and we can give credit where credit is due. So yeah, yeah, can you share your story behind your concept for cash color and cannabis? What were you doing right before you had the idea and what did you do immediately during, if you can remember? Uh yeah, I got it. Um, what was I doing right before? Because Cash Color Campus actually spawned out of a whole nother idea. So I'm thinking, what was I doing before I was doing the color green Cash Color Cannabis? I was working for a organization called Work for Progress. Mm-hmm. And I was I was a field manager for their office in Decatur. And we were set, our gig was to um, get voter registration. So we actually registered 8,000 people. My office did 8,000 people that summer. It was dope. It was the summer of 2000, 2014. Around this time, I got asked by their main office, which was in Denver, to come down to Denver to help out their office, who was kind of behind in their goals, you know, just kind of stay that. Matter of fact, they asked me to come down for nine days and help them finish out their goals. So I was like, cool. So they flew me out to Denver. And at that time, Denver, well, Colorado had just went legal. So it was kind of a news, you know, it was the only state in the, in the country. It was calling it Amsterdam. And I was like, all right, cool. I smoke weed. You know what I'm saying? So it's a fit. this seems like it'll fit right in my lane. So I get to Denver and um, I helped out with the office and that was all good. And registering the vote measures out there allowed me to get around the city. You know, when you're doing register to vote, you got to go different places. And I got a chance to actually see the city of Denver. I got a chance to go into a lot of the inner city and kind of speak to some of the people on the streets. And that's where the concept of the color green cash color cannabis came. I'm in the city of Denver. And um, I remember just being so fascinated by the fact that weed was legal. Like, I remember at one point, one of my team members had rolled me a blunt while I was down there. I smoked it. And I remember putting it outside. Because I didn't want to walk into the office smelling the weed. I forgot about that joint. I come back the next day to the office and that joint is still sitting there. And I thought to myself, that's how much weed is in this city? Like even homeless people walk by a blunt and just said, you know, it could be booth. Like I'm not even going to bother with it. Yeah, yeah. But the thing that also struck out to me was um, I didn't see any black people other than smoking. And that was probably the first time it concerned me. You know, because now we're talking about this being a business. And, you know, we could joke all day about how, you know, Black people always been doing this. We've been smoking. We've been selling. Same thing with um, the Latino and Hispanic community. They can say the exact same thing. But at some point, when you're sitting in a place where it's a legal market and you're looking around and you're like, everywhere from the convenience stores that are now selling pipes and all kind of other stuff to the few dispensaries you have and the edibles. And I'm opening local magazines. I'm just seeing smile after smile and face after face. I rarely saw a Black face. It just kind of clicked in my mind that that's something that actually needs to be kind of um, addressed, you know, and I wasn't sure if it was being addressed at all. So one thing I did was I went back home and I started doing some Google research, you know, just looking around at what they, which was, I guess, now the cannabis industry. I mean, we are a year into it. And you started realizing there were black faces in there. Like the names that would pop up even then were like Wanda James, you'd hear Charlotte Green, you'd hear even Jesse Horton, Jesse Horton, you'd hear people like that early, but it still wasn't like a proliferation. You know what I'm saying? It was just like few, few people here and there. So um, coincidentally, around this time, I sat down in my house with a good friend of mine named Royal, who is a chef. He's a trained chef. 
And at the time, he was telling me about the same thing. He was like, man, so how was Denver? I was like, it was cool, you know what I mean? I was like, it was legal. weed was legal. He said, man, I'm about to get into the weed industry. And again, I'm like, the weed industry, this is such a, a crazy like word to come out of somebody's mouth who I've known for a while, like a weed industry. That's crazy. Okay. What makes you want to get into that? And he was telling me, you know, I'm going to be an edible chef. You know what I mean? He used to come over and bring over edibles even then. I never thought about you using this as a profession. But um, he's like, I'm going to be an edible chef. So um, I've been going to these conferences that have been popping up. So I said, so how's the conferences been? He said, they're good. You get a lot of knowledge. And then he laughed and said, you don't see no black people, though. And it hit me again like I was back in Denver. I was like, how are you not seeing black people at these things that you know good and damn well black people are about? So that's what actually sparked the idea for me to say, I have a few resources as far as film-wise. I got people I can tap into who are camera people, editors, all that. Let me see if I can work on what I thought was going to be a short documentary called The Color Green, Cash Color Cannabis. Okay, where so we, where your journalism mind was going as far as... Yeah. Okay. So you came up with Cash Color, Color Green, Cash Color Cannabis. It was going to be a documentary where we interviewed some of the people that I was finding when I did Google searches. And see if I can speak to them about, you know, the Black experience in cannabis and what we can do to bring more Black faces into cannabis. Mm-hmm. And we um, actually did that. We filmed that for about a year and a half. Me and my man, um, Danny Digital, we filmed a lot in Atlanta. We went to New York. We went to L.A. Um, it was one of the better experiences of my whole life, you know, just being able to go from place to place and uh, have somebody like Sling Johnson, who plays Black Jesus on Adult Swim, take us to a dispensary in L.A. You know what I mean? Like, he took us to his favorite spot to go get weed at. It was just dope. Like, we had a chance to really get down and, and speak to some people about, you know, just weed and the Black community and the Black experience when it comes to cannabis. Mm-hmm. And it was a great idea, but like all things, especially with a documentary, you got to sit down and think about, one, money-wise, is it feasible to keep doing? And two, like I always think, conversation-wise, would this be a conversation starter that would continue on? And I was concerned about that. Like most documentaries, you'll see them and you might watch it one time. You might come back to it five years from now because they have an anniversary. But did this thing really like, when I think about documentaries, I wanted to be kind of like Paris is Burning. I wanted to kind of be like one of those joints where it's a legacy. You know what I'm saying? Like it's one of those things that you're going to remember. It's always going to be a teachable moment. And I wasn't sure Color Green was going to be that. And um, I was at a crossroads about it when I was doing an interview at this station called Live Hip Hop Daily, which is down here in Atlanta. And I was doing an interview about the documentary. And I remember getting up from doing the interview and looking around the studio like, yo, this is a dope place to do. A, they did a podcast. And they, all this is still also new to me. The show was called a podcast. And I was like, a podcast? Like, what do y'all do? I feel like, why don't you just call it a radio show? Well, it's not on radio. We do it online. So we call it a podcast. All right, whatever. So I remember getting up and asking Herb, who ran the studio, hey, do you have any other spots for somebody to like maybe do a podcast? Like, I would rather see if I could do Color Green and turn that from a documentary into something maybe we could do weekly. So Herb said, yeah, man, we got Tuesday at 9 p.m. open. If you can make a Tuesday night at 9 p.m. shake, it's yours. And when I say that was December, first week of December 2016, we did our first episode of Cash Color Cannabis podcast. And now, um, what's that, four years later, going on five years later, we over 200 episodes in. We've had everybody on the show from Kwanzaa Hall to Insay Ufad, who's executive director of New Georgia Project, down to Freeway Ricky Ross. This has been monumental times, man, but... That was the before and after, like literally, like it took a little bit while for me to get to that conversation, but that was the before the thought and that's what happened afterwards. I mean, obviously all those dope ass experience you've had have led and added to exactly where you're supposed to be now. So that's amazing. Yeah. How did you come up with the name? Cash Color Cannabis, it just kind of rolled off the tongue. Like the, initially the movie was called The Color Green and I've always seen so many documentaries have one title and then there's a subtitle. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think, what would be a good subtitle? And um, actually, I can give uh, most of this credit to my friend, 
brandy. It was something else, like minorities and cannabis. And she said, uh, make it shorter. And it came up to be cash color cannabis. And I got to credit that. It was Brandy. Brandy came up with cash color cannabis as a subtitle. So um, since then, it's been something we ran with. Cash color cannabis podcast is kind of, is just synonymous with cannabis culture and cannabis conversations, definitely in Atlanta. And hopefully by next year, this time across the country, that is synonymous with the, the Black experience in cannabis. Nice, nice. Yes, I love it. I mean, anytime I talk to some a fellow um, consumer or, you know, smoker, I always say, you know, cash color cannabis. But this was at the time when I hadn't, I didn't know your name yet. So I'm like, you know, cash color cannabis. Like, I just associated that with. Oh, you. I still get called cash color cannabis. You should see it. Like, like the main reason why I go to pop-ups now, if I go to a pop-up, you won't see me talk about the podcast is because I want to be in full Atlantibus mode. Uh-huh. And now you got people just call me Atlantibus clothing. So it's either cash color cannabis or Atlantibus clothing. Like nobody calls me Mac anymore. So obviously you, you own multiple businesses. How did Atlanta Biz Clothing kind of spawn from Cash Color Cannabis? Atlanta Biz Clothing spawned from um, Cash Color Cannabis due to, you know, just knowing how to, well, trying to figure out revenue streams to maintain what we were doing. Like the conversation in Cash Color Cannabis, the podcast was becoming a major thing in my life. You know, like I get the emails, I get the DMs, I know exactly where we're trending at. So it was becoming a really big thing. And I wanted to expand out in different ways. And that's always takes money, you know, and there's only so many times you could actually work a job and still do what you got to do as far as like, you know, saying maintaining what you feel like is your passion. Mm-hmm. So um, I started thinking of different revenue streams we could use and merchandise. I mean, selling clothes is always one of them that was open to me. Like I've been a brand ambassador for several clothing lines since I started pie, um, Cash Color Cannabis. So it wasn't a huge jump for me to do that. Which was a jump for me was coming up with the concepts. Atlanta Bits, the name, was something we would call the studio whenever we was doing a um, Cash Color Campus podcast. We would say that whenever we got a crowd in there, 13, 20 people, so whatever, whatsoever, we would say we're in the community of Atlanta Bits. You know what I'm saying? Like Atlanta is outside, but Atlanta Bits is in this room. Nice. So, yeah. So that's how the name Atlanta Bits came about. Like it was just really the people who came to the studio. I would call this like the, the, commu- the Atlanta Bits community. But one of our biggest sellers on this website is our drug lord collection, which is us reimagining what a drug lord is. Um, we use Ronald Reagan, George Bush, and we use Oliver North, all due to their part in the Iran-Contra affair. And um, as I say, if I just break it down in, in the most basic terms, the Iran-Contra affair was a massive drug and gun, gun exchange. You know what I'm saying? That was highly treasonous that nobody ever got in trouble for, except for one of my guests, Freeway Ricky Ross. He's the only person who ever went to, had a prison sentence with that was surrounded around that he's still to this moment is called the king of crack nobody calls ronald reagan george bush or anybody in the cia at that time the kings of crack being that you totally brought in cocaine and taught people how to cook crack you know what i mean like nobody ever says these things but you get labeled it because you were the drug dealer on the street so i said you know it'd be cool if we had a line that reimagined that and the conversation that starts from people who didn't know anything about iran contra or the people like if I wear it in the city right now, you'll get a lot of di- different reactions. But most reactions, whether it's black or white, are people saying, damn right. <laughs> like people walk right up to you and said, damn right. Damn right. He was a drug lord because they knew what the story was, that that was what it was. It was a massive drug and gun exchange. Nothing else about that. Wow. Yeah. And that's a dope concept um, to reimagine that that way. That's awesome. OK. Do you want to expound upon Urban Grow Media a little bit? Sure. Um, Urban Girl Media is kind of the parent company of all this. It's kind of like, you know, um, we do our content. Whenever we do our content, whenever we create something, we use Urban Girl Media. We use the name Urban Girl Media just so everything doesn't get just confused under Cash Color Cannabis, CashColorCannabis.com and all this other stuff. It is the parent company of all this. Like it houses 
Cash Color Cannabis, CashColorCannabis.com. Um, some of the new things I will be working on January, after January, which is um, our sports on high segment, where we kind of tackle the things that's going on in the sports world and our music to smoke to sections. Like all those things fall under the umbrella of, of Urban Grow Media. Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. All right. So as a business owner, what's one thing you suggest for up and coming business owners, people who have these ideas and they mm-hmm. just either need to protect themselves or just anything? I would say first, um, when you're coming up with an idea, first, take your time and actually refine what the idea is. And um, I can use myself as an example. When we were doing Atlanta Biz last year this time, you would look on the website and I'd have like um, 10, 12 different options for you to buy. It was during this year that I actually sat down and watched this show called The Hustle. You, saw, you ever seen The Hustle? I was watching The Hustle. It was an episode where they talked to a fashion line out of the Bronx. He was trying to help them understand the flaws that they were going through business-wise. And one of the flaws was you had too much inventory. Like at some point you had to whittle down what was actually your most popular items and focus on that before you expand out. And I feel like in business, we often do that. You try to do way too much. Focus on what you're good at. Focus on what the actual voices of the brand before you try to expand out. Like if I would have tried to do music, smoke to sports on high, all that within the first year of Cash Color Cannabis, it had been so confusing. And it would have been so te- it would just been so time consuming to do that you would have never really figured out exactly what the hell cash color canvas was. It just seemed like he's doing all these different things. Mm-hmm. Figure out what you feel like is the core voice of your brand or what you feel like is the biggest seller in your brand. For us, it was the Atlantibus line, it was the drug lord line, and our new return of the viper line. So I went and deleted everything off that wasn't that. You know, and I said slowly we'll put on everything else. But for right now, let's st- stick to what people are coming to here for and not just having yourself hold inventory or worry about having to go get one shirt when somebody ordered 20 other ones of the other kind. You know what I mean? Like, just don't worry about that. Focus on what your core story is before you try to build out into something else. I love that. I love that. I'm an up and coming small business owner. I'm still navigating those waters. So that's great advice because I sometimes just want to have, give people options. But if you really look at the analytics of it all, you see what, you know, is your best sellers. So yeah give the people what they want. So great. Yeah. And we have that option nowadays. We have back, back end information and you know exactly what people are looking for when they go on the website, you know, what kind of traffic comes. If you are seeing zero traffic on one post and a hundred posts and a hundred views a second, and you know, every hour on another, you should probably spend more time on the one that's getting a hundred every hour, because out of that hundred, probably you're going to get two or three sales, or you're going to get two or three inquiries. Worry about this versus worrying about giving another five variations of this shirt that nobody's buying. Great advice. How has your vision or mission, if it has, evolved since you started your businesses? It's evolved a lot. And I hate to say I downplayed myself, but it's went from being what I would call, you know, just my home away from home, my peace sanctuary doing Cash Color Campus podcast to you're really becoming a voice for a lot of people. You're becoming an inspiration for a lot of people. You have people who come in the studio and say, I met such and such here and now we're doing business. You have to recognize what you're becoming. And what I was becoming was actual business, you know, and I started having to take that exact business way more serious. So, again, it became from the people I let I let around me to the people I'm employing to the people who I do business with when it comes to venues. Everything kind of changed. It became less about making sure all your friends are involved and making sure that you have the right friends involved Mm -hmm. and that the people around you actually understand your vision and they actually share the same mission that you share. I've had to change that kind of mind state about myself over the last um, year and a half or so. And that's definitely helped. Um, I feel like we also evolved to the point where 
I'm fully, like I was mentioning about understanding the voice of the brand, I'm fully understanding the voice of what Cash Color Cannabis is, which again is the Black experience in cannabis. And that can be a lot of things that can range from sports to music to politics. We have to figure out a way now to cater to those voices who are cater to those ears who want to hear that voice as well, who come down to Cash Color Canvas podcast or come to our website. So it's something else we're working on in 2021 is bringing that type of content so that we're making sure that we cater to everybody and we're not just taking one straight line when it comes to the podcast. We're not just taking one straight line when it comes to the, the content we put on the website. Okay, that's awesome. You dropping gems over here. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Like, when did you realize you were kind of walking in your purpose? I mean, when you said about the conversation started from the shirts, I mean, that's awesome. But when did you realize you were? (laughs) You would have thought it would have been the shirts. um, No, it was (laughs) last year. I was about to say it would have been my 200th episode, but it wasn't even then. Like our 200th episode, it was amazing. One, it was 200 episodes. The guest we had that night, my man, Dr. Rashawn Hodge was our guest. He was actually 199. And then we had the weed bar, Comic J and um, Comic J Will and um, Jackpot came through from Detroit. A podcast I super support came down to be episode exactly number 200. It was, all that happened that night. We had a packed crowd in the studio, but I feel like the moment I knew I was walking in my correct purpose would have been a few months after that uh, when we had our end of the year show. It was just amazing. Like my man Scott Lee Ennis came through and he chefed up for us. And, you know, Scott Lee does his Scotch Yard private dinners down here in Atlanta and he's a very good friend of mine. Um, he came out and he served us up food. And when I say we had close to 100 people in that building, we did an amazing interview. And it wasn't just random 100 people. It was me meeting people who apparently were watching the show in one way, shape or form, were hearing the show, heard about the show and was dying to meet me. And that was the thing that was cool. It would trip me out that whole night. People would come up and say, I've been wanting to meet you. And I'm like, why? You know, why? <laughs> that was exactly how I used to take it. Like, why? Like, what's, what's the big deal? And like, you would speak to somebody, you would think that's one. And then you turn the corner and somebody else is grabbing your arm. Hey, I just wanted to tell you how great your show was. Hey, I love that interview you did with such and such. It starts coming to an, a real realization in your world that, yeah, what you're doing actually does matter. So you do have to really watch your content. You have to do really watch how you put this out. You call yourself, you brag about being a media outlet understand the importance of that. Like you grew up with Ebony, you grew up with Black Enterprise, you grew up with The Source, you understand the importance of having these kind of voices in our community. And walking away that night, I really understood that, yeah, I'm that. <laughs> at this point, it's not bragging, it's not being um, cocky, it's just being a fact at this point. <laughs> like that, that, it's that, that's, that's that. That if you unplug from this situation, the room changes. And when you start understanding that, you start understanding that why it's important for you to be in this room and why it's important for you to hear that you actually keeping the lights on for a lot of people, man. And um, it just became, that's when the moment became a realization to me that one, this is real. And two, this is a real business. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yes. Your voice is very, it has value. Now, before you started the podcast, did you listen to podcasts? Yes. Okay. All right. Because I wasn't a huge, I'm obviously I'm starting one now, but and I'm still not a huge one, not to cut you off, but yeah, I did occasionally. I wasn't a huge podcast person because to me, Man, like I was trying to different. I mean, like I told you when I got there and they had a podcast, I was trying to figure out what's the difference between you, what you do and what Seed of God does. Like what's the difference between what you do and somebody else does? Or you got somebody like academics on Instagram and he's only on Instagram. He's only on Twitch. Like what's the difference between all these? I've been listening to podcasts. I feel like now for the last at least eight years before you figured out exactly, before the world figure out whittled down what exactly was a podcast. Or even now, even trying to figure out what exactly is a podcast. Okay. That makes sense. To make sense. Okay. What advice would you give your younger self? 
Don't eat so many cookies. You know, I was telling my wife, I was telling my wife, I told her, I said, when I was in middle school, when I was in eighth grade, actually, I had a vision of myself. I said, when I'm 30 years old, this is what my my life is going to be. I'm going to be able to eat cookies whenever I feel like it. Because in my house, you couldn't eat more than three cookies at a time. After my sister jokes about that now, it's why I binge eat cookies. <laughs> like, I couldn't eat more than three cookies. Any particular brand did you love? Any particular Oh, brand? growing up, I loved Almost Home Cookies. They don't make them anymore. But now the brand I love is um, Chewy Chips Ahoy's. I adore those. Or the generic fudge stripe cookies. Not the Keebler Elf kind. I feel like they're too chocolatey. Really? But Go to Kroger brand or Publix brand fudge stripe cookies. That's my jam right now, man. I would tell myself that. Like, don't binge eat on cookies so much because you will eventually get that freedom in your own household to walk around how you feel and eat cookies as much as you want to. Don't eat a whole bag a day. Like, there's a reason they told you to eat three at a time. That's funny. All right. What do you want your legacy to be? I want my legacy to be that of similar, like, like somebody like Bob Johnson. I want to really have somebody sit down and say, like how the first time, like me and my sister, we speak even to this moment about how when we first got cable, we turned on the channel when MTV came on. Like if you remember, MTV came on with actually a light switch. And I remember me and her sitting there and I was a young kid and she's seven years older than me. And staring at the TV, you see this light switch come on and like everything just changed from that moment when it came to BET, I mean, MTV. And shortly afterwards, we started seeing black faces on the screen. They went from seeing Twisted Sister and all these folks to now you have these black hosts and this Donnie, there's, you know what I mean? Like you have all these people on here. It's like your face dropped like that. I want to be like Bob Johnson. Like I want to have that face of some kid. And I want to have some kid walk up to me and explain that me seeing Rap City, me seeing all the videos, me being able to see these black hosts on this show, me being able to see people like um, Tavis Smiley discuss politics, me being able to see that change my whole view on myself and how I see myself. And, I, and it has like, being able to see the BTs of the world, being able to see read Black Enterprise and read Ebony's, being able to see the source, being able to be able to say in my lifetime, I remember when the source split and became Double XL. Still seeing all that still inspires me. It's dope to see Black faces. It's dope to see Black faces in charge of our own narrative. But it's also dope to see another group of Black people say, well, we want to change the narrative, like how it was with the source. And I want to start this own offshoot and we can all come together and go do that. That's a unity and that's a different level of, you know, just controlling your story. Mm-hmm. I want to have somebody be that engaged and that, ener- that energized to control their narrative that they remember that, yeah, Cash Color Cannabis did that. Like, I remember when we used to watch Cash Color Cannabis podcast. I remember when he turned into all them other things. Like, that's the thing that energized me to say I can start, my- I can change the narrative as well. That's amazing. I love that. Is there anything new or exciting you'd like to share? I know you said you have some big things coming up in 2021. You want to elaborate yeah. a little more? Yeah. I can elaborate on some of it. I mean, I just signed the contract. So one thing is going to happen January anyway. I just don't want to jump the gun on it. But you're going to see definitely new content from Cash Color Cannabis. It's going to be on a different platform. I'd love to be able to speak about that again, but I can't speak about it until January. This is an amazing collaboration and partnership and opportunity for us all at the same time. We're also going to be doing an exclusive drop. I can't mention this. Um, we're going to be doing an exclusive drop with your CBD store, Atlanta. So we're going to be doing a, a month-long pop-up with them starting in January. Um, you'll actually... Excuse me? Where are they located? Oh, East Atlanta Village. Okay. Okay. We're going to be doing a year-long pop-up with them. So you'll actually be able to buy an exclusive drop of Atlanta's clothing from their store for the entire month of January. So I'll be doing two pop-ups as well. So you'll be knowing that as well in January, start the top of January. Also, we're working on um, just different things for Cat for Atlanta's as well. Uh, we're working on a lookbook for some of the different looks that we currently have and some of the stuff we're rolling out for 
for the spring and going into the summer. We're working on maintaining the momentum we have with Cash Color Canvas podcast. Uh, we did our last live recording last night. And I remember t- turning to my producer and saying, man, Herb, despite a pandemic, we literally only missed two weeks of, of, doing, of doing this show. Exactly two weeks. We have, we have, it's, you've only had two weeks of, of no content from us. We have been that consistent this year through a pandemic. And um, I want to make sure that we can continue that consistency, that every Tuesday we continue to give you a fresh new episode, a fresh new um, way of looking at things or a fresh new way of hearing things. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure we maintain that and we make sure that we elevate it into a different level as well. I want to start doing more pop-ups for cash color cannabis, not just necessarily Atlanta bis. So we have plans to take the show on the road to Philadelphia in February, and we're going to be doing Detroit a little bit after that. But right now we confirm for, Fe- for February, we're taking the show and the Atlanta bis clothing up to Philadelphia for, for a couple of days. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been an awesome interview. And when I found out you were from Boston, I was like, oh, yes, Massachusetts. It's been some- Facts, man. Mattapan in the building, 02126. What up? <laughs> <laughs> Again, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I'm beyond grateful for the opportunity to share these inspirational stories with you. If you are enjoying the podcast, please support, like, subscribe, and leave a review. Let me know your thoughts. Also share it with anyone you think could use a dose of inspiration. Last but not least, please follow me on social media. You can find me at high on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Stay high, stay creative, people. Prisoner Project is a nonprofit coalition of cannabis industry leaders, executives, and artists dedicated to bringing restorative justice to the cannabis industry. We here at Hideas wholeheartedly support their values and believe that anyone profiting from the legal cannabis industry has a moral imperative to work towards restorative justice. No one, I repeat, no one should be in jail suffering from the war on drugs which disproportionately impacts communities of color. Want to get involved? Here are some ways. Follow them on social media, subscribe to their newsletter, volunteer, donate, or join the letter writing program. Please find links to their page in the show notes.